Go ahead and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 13. We're going to continue our line-by-line, verse-by-verse study through God's Word, currently going through the book of Acts, which is a historical account of the early church after Jesus ascended up to heaven and how the church kind of multiplied and grew throughout the world. And just to kind of front load the message today, I want to I want to tell you a little story, something recent. Um, so uh, I have uh, some projects going on, some outside projects that are about a month late, uh, seeing as the weather's turning that I'm trying to get done at home. And I'm doing what any man with a bunch of capable children would do is I'm putting them to work and helping. Um, and so we're uh, putting, huh? That's right. That's right. The more, the merrier. More, more, more people to to earn their rent. Um, no, having said that, then my boys are pretty handy. Um, but having said that, um, what I was trying to teach them, we're doing some landscaping stuff, and we're putting on this edging around that's going to be kind of a a planter filled with pea gravel. And uh, I gave my son the hard job of digging a trench to put that edging in. And, in the soil that our house is built on, which is fill. So it's like cobble rock mixed with dirt. It's, it's miserable stuff. And so, uh, I gave him the hard job and gave him a, a pick, the right way to do it to kind of, uh, dig through this or it, it, the way that a young man should be able to do it, right? <laughs> we don't need no trench digger. Use a pick. So I proceeded to show him how to do it. Um, you know, as far as just kind of like digging that that narrow end of the pick in and kind of lifting it up. And when you hit a rock, get under it, pull it up. And so I, I'm, I kind of set him loose to handle it. And I'm, I'm kind of doing something else. And I look over there and I see him kind of struggling. And I realize that he's using the flat end of the pick to try to dig this hole, right? And I'm like, Samuel, I said, that doesn't work very well. That's to kind of clean the dirt out of the, the trench. You should really use the narrow end to kind of dig into the dirt and loosen it up and pull up rocks. And he's like, Dad, I got this. And I'm like, well, I'm watching you for the last minute. And honestly, you don't have it. Uh, I'm like, it's not as easy. It's supposed to be much easier. You're making it harder on yourself. Dad, I don't need to be told how to do this. I got this. And he proceeded to struggle and sweat and try to dig with the flat end of the pick. All right, and so I use that just as an example because we get, we all laugh at that or whatnot. But the reality is, just like sometimes it can be hard to listen to direction from other people, uh, even though it, it might be right and it might be helpful and it might be good for us to listen to it. It can be difficult if we don't agree with it or if we think there's something better or we don't understand what they're telling us. It can also be uh, difficult to automatize into the direction that God gives us in our lives. When we think we know better or it doesn't really make sense to us. And and whereas a couple weeks ago, if you were with us, I talked about, as we started acting, being a place where you can hear God's voice and hear what he wants you to do for him. This week, as we go on in Acts 13, we're going to see a great example of how to move forward in the will of the Lord, or to how to, when, once you know the will of the Lord, once you know that direction, how to move forward, how to listen and obey, because that's not an automatic given. Just like it's not natural for us to make our ministry to the Lord first, so that we're able to minister for Him, what we talked about last time. It's also not a sure that we can learn from to help us do that. So, we went through the first three verses of Acts 13, 
a couple weeks ago, and we saw some of these prophets and teachers in this early church, uh, kind of the first Gentile church we see in the Bible, the church of Antioch, and they're worshiping and fasting and they're ministering to the Lord and the Holy Spirit speaks to them and he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for this work that I have. And we see them listen and, and, and getting ready to send these guys out. And that's where we're going to pick it up in verse. Uh, let me go ahead and uh, read this section. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, we want to glean from these examples of believers that we see in your word, knowing that we're all the same. We all struggle with the same things. We all pleasing as perfect as you tell us. And so, Lord, we want to be in your will. And for any of us that have followed you for any period of time, we know that that's easier said than done. And obey, even though sometimes it doesn't make sense. Hey, Lord, we, time again, what you have for us is always the best place to be. It's where you're going to be most glorified and we're going to be most satisfied. And so, Lord, we want to learn from these men that went forward in the will of the Lord so that we can apply these same things in our lives. So help us do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So being, it says in verse four, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So one thing I want you to note right off the bat here is who they were sent out by, all right? They were sent out, if you will, practically by the leadership in the church. But what does it say in verse four, that who they were sent out by? The Holy Spirit, right? Now that right there is the key to any effective ministry in life, okay? You can send yourself out. You can be sent out by people, but if you want a fruitful ministry, it's got to be a work of the Lord. And these guys knew that it was the Holy Spirit sending them out, okay? And we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit sent them out. It doesn't say, but if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably experienced a bunch of different ways that God leads us in our lives, all right? Maybe it's through somebody or somebody telling us, like speaking a word into our life. Maybe it's through the Lord telling you specifically, like waking you up in the middle of the night or during your prayer time or just putting something on your heart. You're supposed to do this for me. Maybe it's through kind of some open door, like a job opportunity or an opportunity to go somewhere and do something where every other door is closed or just it's obvious it's from the Lord. Maybe it's just through um, some type of previous connection. Um, we see here that they went to Seleucia and then they went to Cyprus. Cyprus was Barnabas's hometown, according to Acts 4.36. So it might have been as simple as Barnabas going like, hey, I want to go tell the people I grew up with about Jesus. And that's what the Lord used to direct him. can be a lot of different ways. But what is important is that you're moving forward so that the Holy Spirit can steer you. And this leads to what I want to focus on today from this text, and that being is how to move forward into the will of the Lord in your life with the first of five principles being, number one, note this, write this down if you're a note taker, when the Lord tells you to go, it is up to you to depart, okay? It's a two-part thing. They don't just, it doesn't just happen when you get direction from the Lord that you automatically go. What happens here is the Holy Spirit's sending these guys, but they go where, when they're told to go. The Holy Spirit gave them direction, but they were responsible for beginning the journey. So just as it's difficult to try to steer a parked car, if any of you have tried that before, it's very difficult for the Lord to steer and guide you if you're not willing to move in the first place. And there's always a defining point 
when the Lord has given you direction, when you've heard, I'm supposed to do this, where you yourself need to make the decision, I'm going to listen and I'm going to obey and I'm going to go in that direction, that step that the Lord is telling me to go in. And at that point, the Holy Spirit will continue to direct as you're need, as, as needed in his perfect timing. Let me give you an example of my own life. Early on in my Christian walk, and been a Christian for maybe two or three years, I was working, I graduated from college and, and I got a job with this big international construction company doing project management, what I got a degree in and I was living down in California with my wife and uh, a couple years of this job, it was, it was a great job, great company, they took great care of me, but it was very demanding, which was good early on in that I got a lot of experience really quickly, but working six days a week, 80 hours a week and and having to move every couple of years and expensive to live. Uh, it was just me and my wife. I had a degree in engineering. It wasn't necessarily the trade I was doing at the time, so I didn't think I qualified for it. But I had a buddy that worked for the state, and he's like, oh, yeah, you should work for the state because it's even less hours. It's like 40 hours a week. Anything over that is like, you know, comp time or, or overtime. And and so it was, it basically, it was going to get me into a position where I was going to be making what I was making before I left California for less hours. So it was like, all right, whatever. I'll put my application in. So I put my application in. I get an interview. I get a job with the Department of Transportation. Didn't see that happening. Wasn't looking for it. But the Lord kept directing. Now, two years later, let's jump ahead. There's a job opportunity to transfer with them up to Astoria. Okay? Now, to come up here, it was to be doing something more in line with my what I went to school with, something I enjoyed, construction management. Oregon, you know, our family did. And it wasn't something that I really thought that I could get because it was a job for more seasoned people that have been working for the Department of Transportation for a long time. So I wasn't expecting any of this, but I put my, my, or did an interview. Week later, they offered me the job. And all of a sudden, I have another big decision to make. It's like, do I move, you know, my, me and my family, we had one boy at the time, and uh, up to uh, like Astoria, Oregon, something we know nothing about. You know, and, and again, it was kind of a step backwards, a demotion in, in amount of salary or whatnot, but through prayerfully seeking the Lord, it was like, all right, this open door, we're going to go. All right, so we get up here to Astoria, Oregon. And then once we're up here to Astoria, Oregon, basically we start looking for churches and we're prayerfully considering. And I had no intent on going to a Calvary Chapel. I was not saved in a Calvary Chapel. I had misconceived ideas of what a Calvary Chapel entailed. Didn't think they taught the word here. It was completely wrong. But I just, I, we were looking everywhere but going to a Calvary Chapel. And then after the sixth or seventh person invited us, about six months of being up here and not finding a church that seemed where the Lord wanted us, we're like, let's just go. So we go halfway through the sermon. My wife and I look at each other. This is where the Lord wants us. And it's like we, for the first time, just learn to love God in his word and be in his presence and learn to be fed so we can feed other people. And it was just this awesome season of growth, okay? Now, I wasn't, we weren't looking to go there, but again, as we were moving forward, the Lord just kept leading. Now, fast forward, you know, many years after attending here, and all of a sudden, my pastor, you know, is, is feeling called to go somewhere else and says, I think you're supposed to take over as pastor. Again, something I never was in the cards. I wasn't looking for. But the Lord was just leading through all these things. And here I am right now. 
But all of that started with just moving forward each time the Lord was directing. And that's exactly how every single one of our lives are supposed to be. Nothing's by chance with God. You've got the God of the universe that has a perfectly great plan for you that wants to lead you through every bit of it. But you've got to be willing to move when he tells you to. Otherwise, you just kind of bench yourself on the sideline And it's not that God gives up on you. He doesn't do that. It doesn't stop the work of the Lord in any way. But you're not allowing him to steer and move in your life into the great things that he has for you. So when the Holy Spirit tells you to go, the best thing you can do is make sure you move and then he'll take it from there. Amen? So that's the first point. Man, if the Lord's telling you something, do it. All right? And you got to be intentional because it isn't going to happen on your own. God will be good and keep giving you the nudge till you get it. But... What are you waiting for? If the Lord is telling you something, do it. So this is going to lead to the second principle regarding moving forward in the will of the Lord in your life. And that's move forward in confidence. Okay? Move forward in confidence. As I said a couple of weeks ago, the most important thing you can know in any decision that you're making is that it's the Lord telling you to do it. Okay? Now, there's a couple ways. The number one way you know it's the Lord's will is his word tells us his absolute will. If it says it in his word is something you should do, it's something good, you don't have to question it. That It's good. You should do it. But then there's the immediate will of the Lord, like decisions to make in your life where you're, those aren't always so easy to persevere or to perceive. Sometimes we got to wait, we got to let the Lord confirm it. But having said that, when the Lord is telling you something, you know it's him telling you and it's never going to conflict with his word. You know that you, uh, with a hundred percent of out, without any doubt, you have his support in that. Okay? And that's the most important thing you can know because you can have complete confidence. If God is telling you something, it absolutely will happen. Not because of you, because of him. Okay? And, and that's important to get this, alright? Let me give you a little example because what we see happening here in Acts 13 is a great example of this principle, alright? If you guys know, been following us in the book of Acts, way back in Acts 1-8, Jesus said before he ascended to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem first, throughout Judea, in Samaria, until the ends of the earth. And guess what? Exactly what he said is exactly what happened. And we see that right here, right? That's how the gospel went out. The early believers were first accused of filling Jerusalem with the gospel in Acts 5.28. Then persecution caused the believers to scatter throughout Judea. Acts 8.1 talks about that. Some of those believers scattered to Samaria broke out as Philip shared the gospel in Acts 8. All right. And then here in Acts 13, we see the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus's commission as Paul and the gospel. Boom. Mic drop. Okay. Now, the reason I tell you that is hopefully to convince you that when Jesus tells you something, when the Lord is speaking to you, he really means it. Okay. When the Lord gives direction, it's not meant to just be an exhortation in your life. And you can move forward, again, in confidence of who it is that's telling you to move forward. The proper person, who knows? We'll see what happens. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, in the power of my spirit, you a sure thing what he was telling them. It's like me and my wife or my wife saying to our boys, hey, guess what, boys? 
Because your mom and me are Caucasian, you're going to be Caucasian. It's not a maybe, all right? It's not like somehow that's going to change. That is a definite thing. I can say, all right? And it's the same way with the Lord. If he says it, you can have 100% confidence it will come to pass, all right? Now, I've talked about this a little bit before, but when I took over as pastor, it, 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 and this isn't what it, when you choose to move forward in that will, you can be absolutely confident God is, wants to do. That is what he's going to do because he said so. Amen? You can have 100% confidence in that, okay? All right, so that's the second thing. Have confidence to move forward in what God is telling you to do, okay? Now, verse five, it says, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So this was kind of Paul's MO. They'd go somewhere new. He'd preach to the Jewish people, his own people, first and foremost. One of the reasons was that because any educated Jewish guy in a synagogue, when they would gather, had the right to basically get up and share. So he had an audience, captive audience, if you will, to hear the gospel. So he shares. And they have John with him. This would be John Mark, first mentioned in Acts 12.25. He's also the one that wrote the gospel of Mark. And they go and they're sharing the word in this other town. And we see the third principle I want you to note in this verse regarding moving forward in the will of the Lord in your life. And that is move forward in whatever it is the Lord's telling you to do, preaching the word. Okay? Telling people that the Lord puts in front of your path the word, just like these guys do. In John 6, 66 through 68, it says, At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Now, if you're not familiar with that section, this came after Jesus told these people that they needed to basically eat his flesh and drink his blood to receive eternal uh, eternal life, right? Kind of a crazy statement to make, right? Now, he wasn't speaking literally, but rather using a metaphor or comparison of him being like food and drink when referring to how people should needed to receive him. Now, that sounds kind of crazy to us because it's not something that we might use in society today. But in that society, it was a common way to talk about how to really receive something, to take it in internally. You needed to consume it. And he's kind of using that, understand that, no, no, there is no like just kind of taking a nibble of Jesus, all right? It's literally accept, receiving him into you. You're not just, you know, in a sense, you're repenting, you're turning from your sin, you're turning completely to him, and you're looking to him to be your Lord, okay? Now, all that to say is, those words weren't fully understood by these disciples yet, because Jesus hasn't hadn't died at the cross, they didn't fully understand that he needed to die for their sins, they still thought he at some point was going to kind of come back and, 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 and conquer the Romans and be in control, which he's not going to do to his second coming. But they didn't understand the meaning of those words. He hadn't instilled communion yet, but they understood enough he was saying mattered eternally. All right. They understood enough that, hey, the stuff this guy is saying makes sense. It like resonates in my soul. It's like what I've been searching for all my life. And because of that, it kept them wanting to be with him and hear what he had to them, despite them not completely understanding it all, right? And in much the same way, you can give the best worldly advice because you're super smart to the people in your life. You can 
be super wise and knowledgeable. You can be super friendly to all types of people and what you say. But the reality is, if what you're telling people is not rooted in God's word, it will not matter past this world. And of therefore, it's very, very little value to anyone. Because how long we live in this world is a drop in the God's word doesn't, again, something we can be confident in that in some way or another, God is using everything you share with people in some way to plant seeds, to draw them to himself. We leave that to him, but it's not, right? So faith in Christ comes from hearing the word of God as you share it with other people. So whatever the Lord's telling you to do, whatever will the Lord has for you, and it doesn't necessarily mean you're on the street corner with a billboard shouting to people. It means that you're sharing and know what it was like before he came into our lives. There is nothing better to talk about. And in some way or another, even the most practical turn the proconsul away from the faith. So this guy uh, named Bar-Jesus, he also has goes by another name, um, which means enlightened one conflicts with what he's saying and it'll expose what he's saying as basically falsehood all right and you got to understand that's what god's word does there's only one truth despite what the world would say because it's the deception of the enemy there's not one truth it's found in god's word and what it does is exposes all the false truths all right and the enemy's not happy about that because he knows if people keep believing the false truths they won't end up in heaven and that's not worried about this so he's trying to convince this guy that what they're saying is a lie. And this leads to the fourth principle I want you to note regarding moving forward. Okay, expect opposition. As we see over and over again in the book of Acts, as the word of the Lord goes out, as people are being saved, as God's will is being done, guess what happens? There's some sort of opposition. There's some sort of pushback. The enemy attacks in some way. See that because it's simply think that difficulty in your life following jesus means somehow that you're doing something now you could be doing something wrong okay you could be trying to operate in your own power god and to be great if there are no acting for evil god uses for good to glorify himself you know one thing that i, I often encourage people in, in marriage counseling because i'm with their spouse it's because we think our spouse is against us and it's like, no, you're not. You're on the same team. You've been links because they're not real. You. He wants you to be blessed. That's why he's joined you as one. And the enemy wants you to believe that your spouse is again. At least this is what I've, I've experienced is that I hear one thing you don't ever want to say is tell your spouse. All I hear coming out of your mouth is Satan. Because I've done that before and that does not work. It might have been how I felt, but it was not the right way to react. All right. Now, having said that, that there's like a filter. And I realized this the longer I've been married is that, okay, my wife's for me and not against me. So how I just heard that is probably not the way she meant it. Right? But what it says here is we can see for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil, all these other fallen angels that work for him, all right? And they're all around us trying to cause havoc, trying to get you to question God's word, trying to discourage you to go in the wrong direction. All these things, we need to be aware of that, all right? And he says, therefore, because this is what the reality is around you, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing and you go where he tells you. 
underground consciousness, the truth of God's word. Doesn't really matter what lie, what, what we might feel, the truth always supersedes it. So with God's righteousness, that's so important. These are a lot of vital organs in this part of you, right? All the, cause the enemy's gonna come after that. He's gonna try to get you to question. And so, he goes on to say, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from good, the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. So, shoes are important. I think of it as like, I don't have tough feet, so when I walk around outside, it hurts my feet. Like, when you're walking on gravel or whatnot, shoes give you like a firm footing. And the footing, the firm footing you need to stand on is the good news of the gospel. Because that's who you are. Again, the devil's gonna get you to question, like, where, what God's doing in your life, the good things he has for you, whether you're capable of doing those good things, all these things that are promises rooted in the good news of the gospel and who you are as God's child. So we stand firm on that. Okay? We gotta constantly remind ourselves of that. He goes on to say, in addition to all these, Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Again, faith instead of fear. We have faith in God's word and it's like a shield because the enemy is going to be shooting arrows at you of lies. And you hold that. Nope, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. I know that's opposite of what God's word says and I'm not believing it. And you hold that up as a shield and it goes on. Put on salvation as your helmet. Again, your head being a sensitive area, being susceptible to lies there. Your salvation and everything that's wrapped up into it. You need to protect your head and take the sword of the spirit, which is a word of God. So the word of God is also like a sword to you to cut right through those lies. And how many of you would go into a battle not knowing how to use a sword or trying to learn when you're in the battle? No, you got to know the word of God before you ever get to the battle, so you know how to swing that thing around and cut right through those lies. So it's putting on this armor, all right? Now notice, there's no armor for your back, right? Because retreating isn't an option. That's the worst thing you can do because that's where you're most vulnerable. When you're running away, you stand firm and you watch the Lord deliver you and do what he says he's going to do. Nope, it's the worst thing he could have ever done. In the death, he's got no power over you. See, your sin's been paid for. Yeah, we still dropped the ball, but it's been whelmed by all. Amen? Amen. So expect opposition. All right? Goes on in verse 9. But Saul, who is also called Paul. Now, it was common in that culture for people to have names that were similar yet different according to the language or culture that they were a part of. So Saul would have been... Paul's given Jewish name and Paul, which sounded similar to Paul, would be his Roman name. Basically him having both names from birth, Jewish people, like his parents would call him Paul, or sorry, Saul, and then maybe Gentile people or Roman people would call him Paul, all right? But Paul went from being called Saul, which carried the idea of being powerful, kind of like named after King Saul, maybe as if his relationship with Jesus. And this is the same Paul that went on to refer to himself as the least of all the apostles early in his ministry in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Then he referred to himself as the least of Paul's life. I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't say he was any of those things, right? But that's how he saw, saw himself. And this leads to the fifth principle I want you to note, the fifth and final one regarding moving forward in the will of the Lord in your life. And that is move forward in humility. 
all right? You, you, you see that and you might wonder at first, like, does this guy have like an inferiority complex or like why, why is he so down on himself? And I would speculate he's just realizing what every single one of us realizes in conforming to be a, which doesn't drive you away from God. It makes you more thankful that he saved you and it drives you to God for help. All right. Which is really where God can use you to do great things. The more reliant you are on him. Amen. He actually gives us uh, Jesus gives us a parable to this effect in Luke 18, starting in verse nine. It says, and Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like these other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Now, those things weren't bad, but he's finding righteousness in that. He's thinking that, oh, yeah, I I, I do these things and that makes me good with God. All right. When what the Bible tells us in uh, Isaiah 64, 6, is that even the best things you do are so steeped in the wrong motives that they're like filthy minstrel rags in God's sight, that you can't do anything apart from God that's good, all right? And that's the proper attitude to have. It's not an inferiority complex. That's reality, okay? And it goes on, Jesus says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven And he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It is good to understand how wretched you are apart from God. Because one thing that it does is it makes you realize how great he really loves you. When you understand that, oh my gosh, I am horrible, yet God still saves me, that he still loves me, he never gives up on me, it, 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 it produces this response like Paul, where like, God, clearly, because you love me so much, just take my whole life. Whatever you want me to do for you, that's all I want to do. That's what it produces in you. And then you become like Paul and you become fully reliant on God and God is able to do really amazing things. And that's what we see in the following verses. All right. The result of these five principles, we see Paul and Barnabas and we see God do great things through that. And I want you to note here, because we can read this and go like, oh, that was just for then. No, your life as a follower of Jesus is supposed to be every bit exciting. And if it's not, that's why we're learning these principles because we can check and say, am I moving forward when God tells me to do something? Am I moving forward in confidence in him? Am I moving forward in humility? Am I moving forward preaching the word? Because if I do these things, I should expect to see similar results. And you will, most certainly. So here's what happens. It says, filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul looked intently at him, this deceiver, this false prophet, and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? That's exactly God's truth. The one truth makes everything straight in your life. It's not meant to be confusing. And the enemy tries to get you off that straight path by lying or seeking people to lead them by the hand. So Paul filled with the Holy Spirit. All right. 
This is key. He's sent by the Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit. He's got discernment to see this for what it is. He's like, this is opposition. This is the enemy working through this guy, right? And he rebukes him. And operating in the gift of faith, the Holy Spirit must have told him to do this. He pronounces the judgment of God on him and making him physically blind. Now, that may seem kind of harsh, but here's the thing. He's already spiritually blind. And that physical blindness just is the equal punishment that goes along with him being spiritually blind. And I would say it wasn't forever. It says it was for a time. And I would say Paul's even thinking of his own salvation. Because if you remember how he got saved, what is one of the things God had to do to get his attention? Make him blind, right? And that saved him into eternity. So he's probably thinking, man, Lord, save this guy. Do whatever you need to do. If this is what it has to be done, he's got to be blind, then so be it. So this guy sees that you are real and he needs to repent and he needs to turn to you. And that judgment might have had to be so drastic too because this guy wasn't just responsible for his own deception. He was trying to lead this proconsul guy astray. Speaking truth, he was arguing against them. And God is very serious in his word from front to back that he takes it very seriously, anyone that is leading people away from him. All right? So he, he had to intervene in a very definitive way so this proconsul could see, don't listen to this dude. He obviously is not speaking the word of God. And that's exactly what happens because verse 12, it says, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So at seeing this miraculous event happen, it verified truth, all right? Because obviously only God could do that, make somebody blind through Paul. And so he's basically like, well, these guys are obviously speaking the truth. They're speaking on behalf of God. But I want you to note, it wasn't the miracle as amazing as it was that saved this glorious news of the God that despite him, God loved him anyways. And his sin is will be paid for. And through faith in that, he could be forgiven of all sins, made right with God and spend eternity with him in heaven. Amen should make you want to be in the will of the Lord and doing whatever he has for you so you can experience the same great things in your life. And as the worship team comes up here, I just want to end on that note. Because in a room this big, man, is there stuff in our lives? I mean, I got to ask myself this all the time in my life that I'm not moving forward in. What is the Lord telling me to do? That's not one thing. It's always every day. What does he want me to do with my kids? What does he want me to do with my wife? What does he want me to do in his church? I got to ask myself this all the time. And when I hear it, you know, I always go through that. Is this the Lord? Is this not the Lord? Well, does it line up with his word? Is there a reason not to think it's not the Lord? All right. I just need to, I need to go. I need to do it. I need to move forward. I need to take that step he's telling me to do. And I got to do so in confidence, not with hesitancy. I have no reason not to know the Lord and they just need to be encouraged to keep following him or, you know, they're having trouble. They're believing a lie of the enemy and they need they need to be that needs to be corrected. No, this is what God says. Maybe they just need me there to pray with them. Maybe they just need me there to listen to them, whatever it might be. Maybe there's opposition. I'm I'm looking at it incorrectly. Maybe I'm getting discouraged and want to see God use me to bless other people. I want to spot that out. I don't want the joy. That God intends for me. And am I moving forward in humility? Am I moving forward in my strength. Which is going to leave me tired and weary. And frustrated. Or am I moving forward. Understanding that I am absolutely helpless. Apart from God. And he doesn't expect me to do anything. Apart from him. Because if I am. 
I'll be down on my knees. I'll be talking to him all the time. Just involving him in every act of my life. Ministering to him. The will is and then moving forward. All around us. All the time. We have a living and active God. And the stuff that we see happening in these believers' lives, it, it was, it's not just for them. It's for us. Every bit of it. And it starts with things that we already know we should be doing, but we just got to check ourselves, make sure we are. So during this last song of worship, I just encourage you, check your heart, with, check yourself with God. Make sure you're where you're supposed to be. Make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. These five things I've kind of gone through, are you, are you right in these areas? If you're not, it's as simple as just, again, repenting. All our sins are paid for. We don't come to God afraid that he's going to be mad at us. We come confident knowing that we can say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I've lost sight again. I'm struggling with this. And know that he's going to respond to us of like, amen, I'm here to help you. That's all I wanted. I want you just to come and look to me for help. I'm here. We've got this together. I'm with you. We're going to move forward in it. You can do that. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you have that kind of access. You can do that today and you can leave here right with God, right where he wants you, going in the direction. So don't miss out on the opportunity. If you're somebody who hasn't placed your faith in Jesus, again, this might sound kind of foreign, this just relationship with the God that created everything in this universe. Well, it's for you. It's for every single person in this world, but it can only be received through faith in Jesus, through understanding that you're a sinner and you can't be perfect no matter what you do. Again, your best acts are filthy in God's eyes because your motives are wrong. Only God can pay the penalty that's necessary for your sins to be forgiven and that was paid in full on the cross by his son Jesus. So acknowledging that to God, acknowledging you need him to forgive you of sin, you need that sacrifice of his son, and inviting him to come and be Lord of your life, receiving him in to lead you because you can't lead yourself. You can do that here today. You can talk to God directly and do it. We're gonna have our prayer team up. You can come up and we'll lead you with a prayer if you don't know where to start. But don't leave here because you only get the opportunity to make that decision on this side of heaven. And you don't wanna go to the next life being separated from God because of your sin you won't get the chance to change your mind so do that here now because you don't know what tomorrow holds dear Heavenly Father Lord God thank you so much Lord I pray for every single one of my brothers and sisters in here Lord I know you have a perfectly good plan for each one of them a will that is good that will be good pleasing and perfect And I can safely say that we all just want to be in that will, Lord. So often we can struggle with knowing if it's your voice or not. But Lord, what I'm learning the longer I follow you is that if it doesn't conflict with your word, if if, if you're telling us to do something that matches up with what you say, then why not do it? Just do it. Just daily tell us what to do. And I can be so quick to doubt it. And there's no reason for it, Lord. We just come here today surrendered. We want to minister to you in this last song and 
And if there is any of these things we talked about today that aren't right in our lives, we want you to make them right. We want to be aware of them. Even right now, I'm sure the Holy Spirit's nudging some of us, talking to us and telling us, yeah, this right here, you got to bring this to God. You got to give it to God. You got to move forward in, in, in the way his word says to So, Lord, for those people that are in humility, admitting those things to you right now, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would just fill them afresh and lead them from this place in the victory you really won them in those things that we see today. We've talked about examples from your word, Lord. And they'd experience that peaceable fruit of right living and that blessedness that comes with hearing and obeying your word. In Jesus' name. Amen.